Good morning and welcome to worship today at Kern Church. My name is Will and, and I'm the pastor and it's a great joy to be with you all today. If you're joining us online today, I want to say a special word of welcome. Thank you for making us a part of your, your morning if you're joining us live. Here at Kern Church, we're committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other people. And my hope for you today is that you feel that sense of belonging and renewal. Uh, so right now, I want to uh, say a, a word of prayer as we, as we get together to journey, continue to journey with God. God, thank you so much for this time together in worship, to gather, to celebrate you, to, to search for you. I pray right now, God, that your spirit is blessed. I also pray, O oh Lord, that you open the hearts of each one who is here this day. May you speak words of life and hope to them through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Today I realized um, we were singing what was uh, Amazing Love, Chris. So that came out in 96, and it reminds me, I wasn't in high school in 96, but I sang that song in high school, and I, was, I had my uh, Nalgene bottle at the time, and that was like the thing. The only thing that I'm missing is I'm wearing dress shoes instead of wearing Chaco sandals. And um, otherwise, I just feel like I'm back, back at, at camp or back in, in high school, which I guess is appropriate because we're continuing our message series about doubt and the, the kind of like our back to school theme of, of really looking at a syllabus of, of dealing with doubt. And so we continue to look at that. And like I said earlier, really last week, I, I was really concerned and doubting if we were going to be able to, to get break beyond the high temperatures. It was so bad, it was raining and my crawl space of my house like like the I, anyways um, that's a whole nother thing you don't want that it was it was just like making clouds and condensating and raining and I'm really glad I walked in there because uh, now I've got a dehumidifier running and those things are amazing and uh, it, it's it's drier than the well anyways it's dry now but I am so thankful because you know whether it's having this now gene or whether it's thinking about um, thinking about you know like uh, being outdoors I am so thankful thankful that things have cooled off and I'm ready to spend time outside at least this afternoon. My family and I were going to go with some other folks to the park and I've got the, the kayak loaded in the back of the truck and a charcoal grill and so we're ready to go. Um, and it reminds me about how much I love uh, the kind of like fall and getting into cooler temperatures because I love being in nature. There's something just about being in the forest or spending time outside that it's rejuvenating to the soul. I, I know that that's true for, for many of you because you, could, you, you share about, about how you get connected to God by, by being in a stream or, or by just taking a walk in the woods and, and, and just these times are good for the soul to keep you connected to God's love. But, but not only that, spending time in, in, in nature really reminds me of the vastness of the love of God, of how vast God's love is. And this is especially true at night in the cooler months, where, where if you get away from the city lights and the light pollution that, that, that we have around here, and you get out in the middle of nowhere, which is really somewhere, and you look up at the cool night sky, and you can see stars for forever. I can only imagine what the ancients, and not even that long ago, like a, a couple hundred years ago, and 
uh, you know, people, people would have experienced the vastness of the sky before light pollution. And, and I imagine that it might have been a little scary because you realize just how vast and how, 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 how crazy the universe is as you look up and look out and people realizing their smallness and the vastness of God's creation. And you don't have to, to even look very far. All you have to do is look around and you can see the, the vastness of God's love around you. And I know many of you connect to God this way in, in nature. The vastness of God's love, of course, is not just seen in nature, but it's also seen in God's unbounding love for humanity. Since the, time, uh, that since the time that God began to create all that is, God shaped human beings out of love. God shaped human beings out of love in God's image. And, and through all of history, humans are, are, have been corrupted by sin and they have fled God's love. But time and again, God has been the one on pursuit trying to track us down, trying to, to share God's love for humanity. In the pursuit of of God's love, it's famously captured in one of the most famous and most recognizable verses in the Bible. And if people don't have any, any kind of knowledge about the Bible or really know anything else, it's, it's likely that they're at least familiar with this verse. And it's John 3.16, and, and it just is, it's very simple. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him won't perish but will have eternal life. God so loved the world. Even before God recognized, even before people recognized God's love, even before for people knew that God loved them, God loves them. God's love goes before them. To use a churchy word, it's especially a word that, uh, it was two words, but words that Methodists like to use. Uh, this type of love is, is often referred to as provenient grace. Just grace that, that, that provenience, like whoever uses that term, it's a church word, and so the preacher's talking about church words and it's whatever. But, uh, but like this is a term that talks about going before you, going before you even believe in God or you even believe in Jesus and confess faith as your own, that God's the vastness of God's love goes before you. This is part of God's love that goes before you, assisting humanity in doing things that are good and doing good, assisting humanity in knowing right from wrong, and even bringing people to a place where they can accept God's love for themselves. And I want you to know that I think it's easy to believe in the vastness of God. It's easy to believe and even the vastness of God's love. I mean, I hear this from so many people. So many, regardless of if they're a, a Christian or not, they, they confess and believe that, that God is probably generally good and, and that God is, is generally about love. It's easy to believe in the vastness of God's love, but, but many doubt if God's love could actually be them. It's easy to believe in the vastness of God's love, but, but many doubt if God's love could actually be for them. And, and so for the past few weeks, we've been exploring doubt and we've been exploring faith. And if you've been with us, we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground on this syllabus of dealing with doubt. We, we've looked at some of the most common doubts that people have. We looked at the reasons and the doubts that have caused many to, to, to leave the church, to look for, for hope in other places. 
Last week, we, we even looked at, at hypocrisy and, and how hypocrisy causes doubt, and we've looked at self-doubt. And, and today, we're going to be switching gears just a little bit and look at a different kind of doubt. And this isn't a doubt about whether or not God is real or whether or not church is, is important, but this is a doubt of a different type. This is a doubt that many feel and wonder if God's love could actually be for them. If God could actually love them, that, that they perhaps may not be worthy enough to be loved by God, and so people are concerned, does God love me? You know, there's a general um, assumption, there's a general assumption that God is love. And this is an idea that is found in the Bible. But many doubt if this love has anything really to do with them, has anything specifically to do with them. Does this resonate with you? It's easy to believe in the vastness of God's love, but have you ever wondered, does God really love me? Do you still doubt if God could actually even love you? And sometimes this doubt of if God could, could love you or love someone, it happens because people find themselves very far away from God, or they assume that they are very far away from God. Someone who is living in the midst of troubles, Maybe this is someone who struggles with estrangement from their family or their friend group. Maybe this is someone who, who struggled for years and years with substance misuse and, and, and really feels as if they're estranged from, from everyone else in their life. Or, or maybe this is someone who, who has done terrible things and maybe it's someone who, who is struggling in prison or whatever the case may be. And, and often people who, who, especially people who have struggled with substance misuse time and again, they feel as if they're not worthy of God's love. Not worthy of love, God's love, or anyone's love. But it doesn't just have to be this. It, doesn't, it, it may not be that, that you, you, you would consider yourself outwardly far from God. It doesn't have to just be someone who is outwardly far from God. Maybe this is someone who thinks that they don't matter enough for Jesus to spend time with them. They don't matter enough. Maybe you feel as if your struggles and what's going on in your life you know, it's just not big enough for God to take the time. You realize that there are people that got real bad things going on in their life, and you're like, well, God should really spend the, the time with those folks and, and helping those folks. And, and my struggles, you know, you know they're, they're just kind of my struggles, but they're really insignificant in the scheme of things. Maybe you feel as if you're kind of okay and that God should save energy for those that, are, that have a bigger need. And it's not that you don't believe that, that, that Jesus loves or that Jesus can save. It's just that you don't want to trouble Him. You don't want to trouble God. You don't want to trouble God with having to save you or to spend the energy and concern on you while there are so many other issues in the world. Or maybe you felt like, like John Wesley. And John Wesley, he's the founder of the Methodist movement. And uh, John Wesley, as one of the spiritual fathers of, of, of our church, of the United Methodist Church, he, he also doubted, even in the midst of his, his ministry, even in the midst of his legacy that we continue to live in today, he was one who doubted if God's love could even be for him. Early in his life, Wesley struggled with doubts as, as, if, as if his own salvation and his own experience could really, could really connect himself with God, if he could really experience God in his own heart. He, he desired to serve God. He had this calling, he thought, on his life to, to make a difference and connect people to the love of God. But he felt inadequate and, and unworthy of God's grace. 
You know, it's easy to doubt if God's love could even be for you, even especially be for you. Sometimes it's easy to think that, that God that God needs to spend God's time caring for those who are really, you know, those folks who are really hurting. And you think that your problems and your issues, they're just not all that important. It's easy to believe in the vastness of God's love, but do you believe that God's love is also, really also, also for you? This is a doubt that, that Jesus confronted many, many times. And one of these times happened to be while Jesus was, was in his hometown. And, and many people perhaps are traveling this weekend, and so, so they're, they're, they're going home or they're going to spend time with others. And so one time, Jesus was in his hometown, or the town that he was living, of Capernaum. And one of his close followers, a guy by the name of Mark, records the story of what happens here. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we'll be looking at the book of Mark. And Mark is the second book of the New Testament, and it's one of the four accounts that we find in the Bible that tells about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so this account that I'm going to share with you comes from Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here we read this. After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and, and people heard that he was at home. So many gathered there um, that there was no longer space, not even near the door, and Jesus was speaking the word to them. So what happens is that Jesus heads home, and they, people realize that, that he's coming back, and that he's done some pretty big things, and, and they want to get their peace. They want to welcome him home. They want to care for him. They want to they get in on, on this action. And so they've got this whole neighborhood block party that's happening, crashing at Jesus' place, the place he's staying. And and some welcome him, and some want to question what he's doing, and perhaps some really want something from Jesus. They've heard that Jesus can heal folks, and maybe they want to be part of this healing. And he's at his house, and the whole crowd is bursting at the seams. And then in verse 3, we, we read about the vastness of this crowd and what happens next. Some people arrived, some people arrived, in verse 3, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. So, so some extra people are showing up, and there's this guy who can't walk. He's paralyzed. And they couldn't carry him through the crowd. So there was, there was this, this, the crowd was so big, they couldn't carry this man through the crowd to meet Jesus. So what did they do? They tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. And when they had made the opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. I mean, can you imagine what's going on here? The crowd is so stuffed. Your house is so full. And, and um, maybe you've got this huge barbecue going on at your house and you've got the whole neighborhood there and, 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 and like the, the whole house is packed to the, to the gills and, and nobody else can get in and you realize you're at capacity and then all of a sudden you look up because there's some noise coming from above you and it's, and it's not a woodpecker, it's somebody tearing your roof off, okay? Okay? And that's what's happening. In the, I mean, I cannot imagine. Um, I'm sure their roofs were different from ours, but I don't have a picture. Um, nobody took a picture of that event. So um, the, the roof is tear, being torn off. And as the roof is being torn off, this guy on a, some type of rag or like cot gets lowered through the roof into your living room where, you're, where Jesus is, is, is holding court, so to speak. And, and in the vastness of the crowd... In the vastness of everything that's going on, Jesus makes a choice. Jesus makes a choice not to focus just on everybody, but to make a choice to focus on the one who is coming to him. 
Verse 5, we read that when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, the paralyzed man, child, your sins are forgiven. And He said some legal experts were sitting there muttering among themselves, why, why does He speak this way? He's insulting God. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus immediately recognized what they were discussing. And they're jammed together tight. And, and He said to them, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your bed and walk? But so you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus raised him up, and right away he picked up his mat, walked out in front of everybody, and they were all amazed and praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. As Jesus began to focus on this one, many around him began to question the wisdom of his actions. As he began to focus on this one, many questioned the wisdom of this focus. Through Jesus' action, though, we see that even in the vastness of Jesus' love, there is room for one. Room for one to come. Room for one to be healed. Room for one, one to receive new life. If you notice, Jesus doesn't just focus on the physical needs here. Uh, I mean, it's obvious that this man is paralyzed. In fact, the whole town probably only knows him as the paralyzed man. I mean, Mark refers to him as the paralyzed man or the paralytic. Um, but Jesus doesn't just see him that way. Jesus recognizes who he is. Jesus sees this man for all that he is. This one person. And this is why I think that Jesus speaks the words that He most needs to hear. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Of course, Jesus can heal him and Jesus does heal him. And people question, why would Jesus bother with, with forgiving his sins if he, he can even do that? Um, Jesus is, 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 people are confused about what's going on. But Jesus wants to make sure that the man can know and receive his personal place in the love of God. Because even in the vastness of God's love, there is place for one. Even in the vastness of God's love, there is always place for you. Remember what I shared with you about the doubts of, of John Wesley? This is a spiritual giant in our faith tradition. But he was having doubts about, could in the vastness of God's love, could God even love him? He doubted if there was a place for him. And during this time, uh, John Wesley, he made friends uh, with a, a missionary who was a Moravian, a guy by the name of Peter Bowler, and they, they became close friends. And, and Bowler recognized Wesley's struggles, and he, he empathized with him, and he encouraged him. Wesley was concerned and struggling with the, these doubts that he had been facing and wondering if he should stop even being in ministry and, and, and just, just put it aside because he was not sure if he could share something that he didn't know personally. And at this time in his life, it was a very pivotal time, and, and, and in confronting his fears and, and trying to help him, his friend Peter Bowler said, you know what, John, um, why don't you continue preaching faith until you have faith. He said, continue sharing with people about the love of Jesus until you feel it in your heart yourself. Because Bowler believed that as, as he continued to search the Scripture, as he continued to immerse himself in the love of God and actively live it out, that, that Wesley would come to a deeper understanding and experience of God's love and grace. And Wesley took this advice to heart and began, focus on, and, and, and began to focus on preaching and teaching 
uh, about this message of salvation through faith in Jesus. And he didn't wait until he had absolute certainty in his own heart, but he continued to share. And then over time, his own understanding and his own faith was, was deepened and he came to a, a personal assurance of God's love. A personal assurance of God's love and grace, not just for everyone. He already knew it was for everyone, but he then came to an assurance that it was also for him, personally for him. From this experience, Wesley and Methodists went on to teach that, that God's grace truly is given and available to every single person. I mean, this is a distinctive Methodist belief because there's, there's some faith traditions that, that, that believe that God only chooses some to receive the good news, that God only chooses some to, to receive God's love. But Methodists recognize that God's love really, really can be available and is available to all. So just as the love of Jesus wasn't withheld from the paralytic, it is available to all and it is available and for you. Even in the vastness of God's love, there is always a place for you. Even when you feel insignificant, there is a place for you. Even when you feel too far from God, there is a place for you. On another occasion, Jesus was, was teaching and, he, and he, he said this same thing in a different way. He knew that people would, would often feel overlooked, and he knew that, that people would often feel insignificant or unworthy of receiving God's love and forgiveness. So he invited people to consider something as numerous as, as sparrows. Now, when, when sparrows fly, they often fly in these massive flocks that, 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 that you can hardly tell one bird from the next. And I don't know why they do this. Maybe they're trying to look big to predators out there. But, but, but these, these birds, they fly in these huge flocks and they, they can sometimes look mesmerizing as they move across the horizon and you see them out there. And Luke, another follower of Jesus, he records what Jesus says about the sparrows. In Luke chapter 12, he says, you know, aren't five sparrows, we go back to that picture, five of these things, five sparrows sold for, there's another one, five sparrows sold for two small coins. Yet not one of these is overlooked. Not one of these is overlooked. I could, you could probably count them in this picture because it's close enough, but, but not one of these is overlooked by God. And Jesus goes on to say that even the hairs on your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Not one of these sparrows is overlooked. And you, my friends, are worth more, are worth more than many sparrows. Even in the vastness of God's love, there's always a place for you. With this in mind, how can you best accept your place? How can you accept your place in the heart of God, accept the love that God has especially for you? And I think it all begins by reflecting on those moments in your life when you've doubted God's love for you. Acknowledging, acknowledging these doubts and opening yourself up to confessing. And confessing is about dealing with your doubts and your anxieties in an open and in an honest way. And confession, it's a means by which you open yourself to receive God's love more fully. There's a transformative power in acknowledging with, with honesty and openness your fears and shortcomings to God and even to others. 
When you confess, you open your, your heart to God. Now, in some religious traditions, it's important not only to confess to God, but to confess to someone else, a, a, a respected person, or even to confess to the pastor or, or the priest. And sometimes this is so important that you're not even supposed to receive communion until you go to confession. Often, Protestants, um, including Methodists, look down on this practice and assume that it's, it's, it's a bad thing. Um, I think some often say, you know, I don't need to confess to someone else. Uh, I, I can confess straight to, straight to God. I can pray straight to God because God hears me. And it is true that you can pray directly to God, but there's also power in confessing to someone else. There's also power in bringing someone else into this space where you have hurt and, and you're not sure. If you think back to the story of the paralyzed man, he didn't come to his own to Jesus. He needed to be carried by others who were with him. And when you confess to others your doubts and your insecurities and your sins and your hurt, you invite other people to come alongside you and, 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 and allow them to help carry you to Jesus. And you can do this to them too because you can build a relationship where you can also help carry them in their time when they need a place before God. Because even in the vastness of God's love, there is a place. There is always a place for you. And you may think, well, there's someone who's more lost than me. There's someone who, who, God, who, who really needs God more than me. But Jesus said, even the vastness of God love, God's love, there's a place for you. There's a place for you. You don't need to defer to someone else. There is always a place for you. And the first step, the first step to take in dealing with these doubts is just simply confessing. Just simply confessing them. So whether you, are, you, you think you're far away from God or whether you think your struggles are too insignificant for God to care about, I want to invite you now into a time of confession. A, a time to open your, your heart to God. A time to allow the, the universal nature of, of God's love to become in your heart very specifically love for healing and repentance and transformation. I want to spend just a moment and ask you to reflect. To reflect in your own heart on the doubts that you harbor. To reflect on your fears or your feelings of, of insignificance that you have experienced in, in your faith journey. And I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself. And so we're just going to spend just a few moments now. I'm going to be quiet and allow you to just reflect. Reflect on the doubts that you harbor. And as you continue to reflect, I want to invite you to confess these to God right where you are. Just have an honest conversation with God. God, I, I share with you my heart. You know the ways that I struggle. You know the things I put between myself and you. And I just need some guidance and some assurance. So right now I want to ask you just to open your heart and confess these struggles to God. Lord, I ask that you hear these prayers of confession and help each one to, to grow in their knowledge that you are there specifically for them. And now I want to invite you all into a time of confessing together. We're going to pray a, a prayer of confession in unison together. 
But I also want you to know that just praying and, and confessing is not just about something we do corporately, but I do want to encourage you to seek someone out to bring others in who might be able to help you in a time of confession. Who, might be able, who you might be able to trust to help carry you to Jesus. And even if they have to take down a roof to get you there. Right now, will you join, join me in confessing with these words we find on the screen? Lord and Creator of all that is, we come before You in the vastness of Your love to confess our doubts, misgivings, and sin. Sometimes we think better of ourselves than we ought. Other times we imagine our insignificance is worthy of love. Both of these keep us from You. Forgive us, Lord, for not fully embracing the truth that Your love is for all of us and each of us. Here we stand in need of Your grace and assurance. Help us to find solace in Your presence, to release our doubts, and to accept the depth of Your forgiveness. Amen. I pray that God hears this confession and assures in Your heart that You have forgiveness. And so as we come to a time of, of the culmination of our time together, I want to remind you that, that even in the vastness of God's love, there is always a place for you. There's always a place for you. And now we're going to move into a time of union. And Holy Communion, is, it's a meal of sharing around bread and cup, but it's also a time where you can receive in a real and tangible expression of God's love meant directly for you and for us. So before you now, it's an invitation to, to partake in a tangible expression of God's love. A love that goes beyond your doubts and your shortcomings. A love that offers forgiveness, healing, and renewal. And so I give God thanks that God meets us here in this space around a shared table of a cup and of bread. And the story that Jesus is told about Jesus is that he met with his followers in a room together before he was going to give his life for you, for us, but not just for us, but for you. And so he, he, he shared a meal with his followers and he took a loaf of bread. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And with these words, he asked God to bless it. And then he took the cup and said, this is the, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. And So from that time forward, when God's people have gotten together to wonder, does God really love me? To share their doubts and to confess their sins. They've done so around a table of grace. Inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us and to feel this meal. So I invite you now to pray with me once more. Almighty God, send forth the resurrection power of Your Holy Spirit to make this meal be for us the body and blood of Christ. That we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by Your blood. Make us one with You and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. And we feast with You at the heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is Yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.
God, You are our living hope and You are our hope. Not just for us collectively, but for each one personally. And so I pray that that each one receives in their heart this hope and this love that You have for them. Give this all to You in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go with the love of God this day and evermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.